Yeah, not for you, Mikey. Good morning, all. Um, I, I, I've discovered it's difficult because the way I do sermons and when I speak, I always do PowerPoints to go with them, and really I, do, I kind of address my PowerPoint. So not having one has made me have to prepare differently, and it's really hard. Um, <laughs> Because I'm very much a comic book person, I'm discovering. So, good morning, everybody. This is unusual for me to be here on this Sunday. I, I, I've just been saying to people, I haven't been here at church on this Sunday for five years. I've just worked out. I haven't been in this for ten years. This is the first time in ten years I've been at church for the first Sunday of the year. And I've done that because I specifically decided I wouldn't be aware this year because it's the start of a new decade. And that is the only reason I decided to be here. I have sacrificed... What time is it? Yeah, I have sacrificed the fact that now there would be a, uh, a swimming pool, 24 degrees of heat, a sangria by my side, uh, Tenerife Beach just across the... But hey, I would rather be with you. But you'll wait till next year. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) I'm beginning a new series for the start of this, and there's a brilliant picture that's going to come up there uh, in your minds, um, called Tenacious. We're going to be dealing with Tenacious Faith, a new series starting this new um, year, but more importantly, a new decade, because I do think there's something important about recognizing these big turns. It is just another day in the week. It is just another calendar date. But I think there can be something significant because the way our brains think, the way our minds work, the way our hearts are, then we do put great stock into these things. And you're going to be relieved to know I am not remotely interested this morning in talking about resolutions. We're not talking about New Year's resolutions because we all know it's just nonsense, so I go there. But what we are going to do is talk about having tenacious faith. What could God do? In Hebrews 10, 35, 36, it says this. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Now, here's where I want to shake you up, right at the very beginning. Because you use a word like persevere. Who likes to persevere? Raise your hand up now. What does the word persevere conjure up in your mind? Upomene, the Greek word that we translate as persevere, means to cheerfully endure with hope and consistency. Why do we degenerate our Christian walk in faith down to, mm, I'll get through. And I know we do that because I've got Facebook and I've seen what everybody does. I'll get through. Don't worry about me. Your prayers will be nice, but I'll continue. We've all seen it. We've all done it. I do it. But the scriptures talk about an enduring, patient hope. That's where we can choose to begin our decade. That's where we can begin to choose our year. That's what we can do. So I want to look at this word tenacious. So I need a macho volunteer. And I'm not going to do it to Neil because Neil is enduring toothache. <laughs> I'm not going to go into details, but don't laugh at him. This guy deserves a medal. He's been to the dentist. Uh, don't tell me that because I'm going in two weeks' time. <laughs> so, hey, work to treat. Come on, I need somebody. I need, I need 
man or woman, I don't mind, but I need your assistance. All you're going to do is just stand there. You're just going to stand there. I'm not going to mock you, you're just going to stand there. Anybody. Why does nobody trust me in this church? Sarah, thank you. Oh, we, oh, we, just be, oh, we had two people that trusted me. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you, Sarah. You trusted me. Thank you. I'd just like to stand there, please. I'd just like to hold your arms out in front of you. And hold that bucket in front of you. Both hands. It's all right. You're allowed to use both hands. Yeah, yeah, just endure. Tenacious, tending to keep a firm hold of something, clinging on, adhering closely, is the, is the dictionary. Come on, hold it out. A tenacious grip, not readily relinquishing a position. It's a principle, it's a course of action, it's a determination that we have. So, about 35 minutes to go. It's only half a book to water. In fact, it's not even half. I only... You know, yeah, I just picked a bucket up and filled it with water, and the stuff that was in the bottom of that mop bucket is not to be spoken of. I only know tenacious people. Seriously, I only know tenacious people. People that tenaciously press into things or people that tenaciously hold on to things. They tenaciously hold on to the... What are we doing here? It's, a bit, it's, a bit, it's meant to burn. It's good for you. Got to look through it with hope and joy. This is the Christian life you're demonstrating here. No, 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 no. You can't do the Christian life on your elbow, can you? It's not, you're not in town shopping. It's amazing how you could hold 300 weight in your handbag, but you can't hold a bucket of water. Come on. This, you are representing the faith life of our church right now. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I feel like I... Would you like to stop now? Just can't, you just can't get the... It could not be, come here, because, because you held half a bucket of water, you can have half a jar of sweets. The top half. No. You can have the top half. The empty half. Yeah. Top half, they're the bottom half. I'm quick me, you know. Well done, you won it. Thank you, Sarah. Well done, Sarah. <laughs> what you'll have seen in Sarah is saying, I can do this, it's not very heavy. It was half a bucket of water. I tried this earlier. When you were all worshipping, I suddenly thought, I wonder how heavy this is. So I just nipped out to see. It's not very heavy at all. For about 30 seconds. And then something begins to happen in the base of your back. And then something begins to happen in your forearms. And then your shoulders and your biceps. And before you know it, then your stomach suddenly starts tightening up. And then you get neck ache. And then down the backs of your legs. I'm thinking, I'm just holding a bucket. And then before long, every bit of me was like this. And then I started to sweat. And then, you know, you... Oh. Sarah could carry three of these around town all day. It's very much like the Christian life. We're so often determined to set off. And to begin with, yes. But then, Scripture is very clear. We endure. There is an endurance race here. There's a pressing through. There's a getting there. And so, you know, don't be surprised sometimes in your Christian life when it begins to wobble. When it begins to shake a little bit. But I was able to take the bucket off of Sarah and give her a blessing. 
that she's going to share around the room. Because <laughs> it's post-Christmas and we're not allowed to eat an entire box of sweets anymore. I was able to bless her by taking the bucket off her and giving her a blessing of energy, of sweets, if you like. It's just something of a picture, something we've got to get hold of as church. That that's the reality. But we can do that joyfully. We can do that with hope. We can do that with cheerfulness. We can believe that there is a break coming. We can believe that God is taking us somewhere. So, Happy New Year. Uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like I have eaten non-stop. And then last night, we had this thing happen to us as a family. I, I, I don't know where to begin, but my mother had a family of which I am loosely connected, um, apparently genetically, which is scary because I've been in the room and they've all been there. And every now and again, once a year, they have a big family gathering, and it's like the clans gather. And I can only say clans, and there were clans sat around tables. And mine's one of the smallest clans as it happens, but I'm encouraging my kids to break that tradition. Um, so these people were weird. And I'm allowed to say that because they're my family, but it was, it was like, wow. I didn't know what to do with myself. All these people that I'd never met, and they're all close relations, and they've brought their kids and their grandkids and, and cousins that were 12 times removed that I live next door to. And Megan discovered she's got a cousin that literally lives across the street, and she didn't even know she knew her. And then we discovered that, that um, Robert discovered he works with my auntie. And, and then um, Annie's dad happens to work with my auntie's husband. A husband that I've never met in 25 years of them being married. And wow. And we ate food. We ate loads of beige food. I went to have a look at what it was because I didn't want to eat anything. But somehow beige food draws you in. Over Christmas I've mixed the most outrageous foods and leftovers. Has anybody else done that? Mixing the most outrageous leftover foods. When I was a kid... There's something I like to do. You know, by the end of Christmas, you've got all different fizzy pops left over on the side. Got a little bit of lemonade, a little bit of Coca-Cola. It was olden days, so we had a little bit of Tizer. A little bit of Orangeade, because Tango had not been invented. And all these different flavors on the side. And I used to mix them all together. And drink them. And it was amazing. You got this, you got this amazing flavor often <laughs> and one day I drank all of this I drank two or three glasses of this so I'm bursting with sugar and caffeine and then I decided I wanted something else so I had a glass of milk oh. needless to say there was suddenly a multicolored explosion <laughs> around the kitchen suddenly I lost control as the fizz and the milk spilled from me, shall we say. It spilled, it spilled, drenching me in an unrecognizably and incredibly toxic, acidic, creamy froth. Have I painted a picture for you yet? <laughs> I won't mind, I was about 10 years old when this happened. And I've tried it since, and apparently milk and fizzy don't work well together. Especially when I had some after eights as well, so the mint didn't help either. But I was in charge of my decisions. 
I was in control of my destiny. I would drink the fizzy pop, and despite my mum telling me not to, I went to the fridge and I had a glass of milk. And the consequences were all mine, except there were also my mother's who then cleared up for me. Being in control, even when it goes wrong, is somehow addictive. People love to be in control, and they will tenaciously hold that control. Even if it's the tough stuff, the wrong stuff, the bad stuff, they will hold to that stuff, even though it's damaging them. Even though I knew it would probably make me sick, I drank that milk because I'd been told I couldn't. Because I was in control. And even when I spread the good news, I'd still been in control. I used to be addicted to that type of control. I promise I am not addicted to being in control of things now. It's just that I know better than most people. <laughs> the satisfaction of having a say over how something turned out was more important to me than anything else at that moment as a 10-year-old. And to some extent, as an adult, we all still carry that into our lives. We still carry the, the, the kind of fizzy buzz of control into our adult lives, into who we are. It matters to us so much that we get to be in control. And we like to be in control of our out of control. We don't want somebody to step in and help us be control. We, we like, we actually enjoy the tenacity of holding on to our pain. I see the need for people all the time on social media to control, to influence, to persuade, to impress. But what if we let God step in? And I want to begin this year and this decade by saying, what if we let God step in? If I wanted to find true satisfaction, I have to let go of my cup. I have to put down the sticky soda that fell on the floor. I'm not going to drink the milk. I've got to let go of my control. Uh, and if you want to turn in your Bibles, it says in John chapter 4, verse 13, just a couple of verses, don't worry, I can read it to your faith. comes by hearing the word of God. Uh, Julie and I have currently got a Hodeo Bible, and it is awesome. David Suchet, I'm not selling, I'm not getting tipped, but David Suchet's audio Bible, especially now Julie's told me that I had it on double speed and it sounds so much better at proper speed. <laughs> wow, it sound, now, before it sounded good, now it sounds good with authority. <laughs> it says in John chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, that's about who's in control of your life. You see, when we're in control of our own life, whatever we drink, whatever we consume, will always leave us at some point lacking, thirsty. But when it's a God control, when it's a God input, something wells up that is forever satisfying. Church, I think in this next generation, this next period of time, this next critical period, this next 10 years where nothing will look the same by 2030. Nothing will look the same. And I promise you, it cannot look the same. And I'm not talking about politics or climates or anything else, but simply numbers, simply mathematics demonstrate that this building of this church, these, wow, it really is going right around the building. Um, I've got another jar in there if anybody didn't get one. But I promise you this, things will look different by 2030. There will be new people here in this room. We may not even be in this room. There will be people no longer in this room for a variety of reasons. But we will not look the same. So we need to give this next period to the Lord. We need him to be in control. We don't want to be leftovers people. 
You see, the new year, these changing points for me, like a new year, like a Christmas period, like the one we're in now, both physically and spiritually, it brings mixed emotions for me. It's that time when we tend to look in two directions at the same time. We look back at the past year and we remember and we look forward to the new year and we wonder. Or in my case, I look forward with vision and an equal balance of worry because that's the kind of person I am. I can with absolute confidence believe what the Lord is going to do and say and absolutely with total conviction know without any doubt whatsoever that the Lord is in this and be filled with worry. Because I'm still human. I'm still this side of the Lord's return. And, and that's just my nature. And yet, the battle in us is between the past, the present, and the future glories. And you know, we can't just look back and rely, oh yeah, but. Yeah, but it doesn't exist anymore. We can learn from it and grow from it and use it as a foundation, but it is gone. We have to live in this moment in time so we can press into the future. So let's learn from that, but let's not live there. We've got to look forward. We can't carry stuff. We can't carry the hurt, the disappointment. We can't carry the triumphs and the wins. We can just be today and into tomorrow and give it the Lord. So I'm going to address that in, in the next couple of weeks as I expand this. And we're going to have a moment where, as individuals, we have a chance to draw a line. To draw a line and say, I'm stepping over. I'm going into a new day. Now, it's a scriptural thing. It's a scriptural principle. God's people did it on a couple of occasions. They said, that's the point. Now we press forward. So these turning years are always, for me, happy, sad times. It's a time, of, at least for me, when my emotions are really raw because when I reflect on the past year, I remember all the good things. And we had some great things last year. But I also, and I feel really happy. But I also think about all the difficult, painful things and I feel really sad. So last year was a really weird year. And when I look forward to this year, I can, I can let that year dictate what's coming. Or I can let the Lord dictate it. I can let the Lord control. I can be controlled by all the experiences, good and bad, of last year. Or I can look forward and say, this is yours, Lord. This is your year. Yeah. You know, I've often talked to people, and it's been said to me this morning, I'm not having to go at anybody because I know what you mean and what your heart is. And they've said to me a couple of times, I've had two people that said to me, this year's my year. And I know what you're saying, but what if we say, this year's God's year. This year is the Lord's year. I had a very good friend who's still... He's probably past his 10-year sell-by date now. But he said, the next 10 years, I'm giving it to the Lord. And I think he's still giving it to the Lord. And it must be over 10 years now. It's got to be way over 10 years. But he said, I'm giving it to the Lord. And he's giving it to the Lord. He's tried to live it for the Lord and give it to the Lord and let him control. And that is a remarkable thing to do. And it's an inspiring thing to do. Think about my kids getting older. <laughs> they are so old. Which is really depressing because that means I am so ancient. I am decrepit. Oh, I look at my kids and I'm filled with nostalgia because I just want to build Lego with them. And it, like, they don't want to do that anymore. But then I turn around and look at this thing called 2020 and I'm filled with a whole new set of emotions. I'm excited, but honestly, I'm scared. But I'm so excited. What will this decade look like? So much has happened in the past two decades. Can you imagine? I know, I've got to, I've got to it. 20 years ago, I didn't have a mobile phone, but there you go. Um, so that's, it's all right, you're not in trouble. It's just that I, I can't, yeah, I can't compete. Because everybody's thinking, oh, I'm glad it's not mine. 
Hey, listen, you've not had it happen when he's preaching at a wedding, I have. I can't ever have a go at anybody ever again. When I'm speaking at a wedding, suddenly somebody starts texting me endlessly at Kerry and Tim's wedding. I think Kerry's probably forgiven me by now. Um, what will this decade look like? So much has happened in the past 20 years. And I say that it's important to me. It's, it's, it's a big thing for me because this is, I'm starting the 20th year of my working for the church this year. Uh, it's 20 years. 2000, I, went, I, became, I started working for two days a week for church. 20 years ago in the millennium. Do you remember the millennium bug? Wow. 20 years later. So I'm excited about what this next 10 years holds. Because for me, I feel like this is the peak. For me, I think this is the 10 years. This is the big one. Do we reminisce and wish for the past or use that to lay a foundation to press on? Things are changing. It can be very unsettling. Uh, if we're to enter our God-called future, we must disturb and surrender our control of the present. I'm going to say that to you again. If we're to enter our God-called future, we must disturb and surrender our control of the present. We can't try to persevere and we can't try to preserve the past however good it is in the present because it becomes a draining tradition however good the past was if we try to preserve it in the now it will just become a draining tradition we have to break into a new thing because god is a god who says see i'm doing a new thing everything will change in the next 10 years uh, and the foundation of that rests on this year ahead and our response to the present here's a practical thing i've committed to I promise you, in 10 years' time, I will run a marathon. I will still run a marathon, even though by then I'll be middle-aged. I will run. I will run a marathon. That's just a practical thing, a goal I've set myself. I'll shift the weight again. I will get that marathon done again. But if I can persevere and press into that for a good day, physically and humanly, what can we press into in God? So I want to say there are no accidental people here this morning. You are no accident. God has purpose and design for your life. But where people like to make choices, and the choice we can make is to surrender that choice to God, to give him control of us. The big question for today is, how do we move forward when life is so uncertain? And it is uncertain. I don't care what anybody says, our world is probably more uncertain than it has been for 70 years. We're in a deeply uncertain, wobbly world for a thousand reasons. I'm not interested in politics or environment and taking opinions. I've got strong opinions about both environment and politics, but that's not the point. What we're dealing with here is the eternal. That has an impact on the present. So I want to look at two characters for Christmas. I figured we'd still have the decorations up today. I think our amazing team of people are blesses and service so well that we're stripping all this out so it'll look like your front room after Christmas when it's just void of character, when all the tree is gone. But people, you know, you understand people serve us and do all this stuff. They spend hours. There'll be hours this afternoon stripping this out and turning it back to normal. But I want to talk about two Christmas characters, Matthew and Joseph. I want to look at Matthew first, the man who wrote the gospel, Matthew's gospel, very briefly. Whenever you read a book of the Bible, it's important to know a little bit about the author and why, why the book was written. So when I've looked at Matthew in a moment, I'm going to look at Joseph because he was responsible for taking care of Mary and the young child named Jesus. And the future was pretty scary for him too when lots of scary things happened in his life. But first, let's learn a little bit about Matthew. So if you would turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, please, if you've got your Bible or your phone or if you want to listen, that's fine. Um, 
Because I have a feeling this passage was a story that framed Matthew's entire life. And it begins this in verse 9 of Matthew 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. He got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees, that's religious leaders, saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, Matthew had a past. Matthew, this writer of this gospel, and we all have built our Christmases around much of what he's written, Matthew had a past he'd got control over. He, he, he was in control of his life. He was still able to move forward, but he knew, he knew that his past could change his future. Would all they got to, do I let Jesus, or do I let my past be who I am? And he chose Jesus. He surrendered control. Matthew was a tax collector. That is a tough job. Don't think of the Inland Revenue Service in the UK. That's not what a tax collector was in Palestine and Judea at the time. The closest thing in our society that I can think of to help you understand um, what Matthew was as a tax collector would be a loan shark, uh, a gangland debt collector. Anybody watch the Peaky Blinders? Imagine Peaky Blinders stroke mafia. They would encourage businesses to release finance of which they would keep a significant share. Protection racket, effectively. As long as the Romans got their bit, they could do anything they wanted. And it would come with threats of violence and prosecution and fear. That was the life that Matthew led. And suddenly, Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Matthew is completely in control of his life and world and in control of many people's lives. The destiny of lots of people rested in his decisions. And Jesus simply says to him, give all that up and follow me. That is a massive thing to do. And Matthew follows. The religious leaders were upset with Jesus and I think the next words that Jesus spoke became Matthew's life verse. And this is what it says in verse 12. But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician but those, who are, but those who are sick do go and learn what this means I desire mercy not sacrifice for I have come to call not the righteous but the sinners see Matthew is exactly why Christ came this man who was in control this man who controlled others this man who could do what he wanted to do was exactly why Jesus came you see actually in many respects physically, practically, socially, politically Matthew was not a weak man he was a powerful man. You know, so often we think of only broken people coming to Jesus. But here's a man who in many practical ways was a powerful man and a wealthy man. What he was was sick. And that's what Jesus is interested in. The need for our soul. The need for our life to be healed. The need for our eternity to be healed. So it's not talking about just bad people, uh, good people. It's about our relationship with our Father God. And that's what Jesus stepped into in Matthew's life. How was Matthew able to move forward in life after pain and regret of all the suffering he had caught? Think of Scrooge, because this is like a Scrooge story. Matthew, think of Scrooge. Matthew is Scrooge. How was he able to move forward? He knew that Jesus loved him. He knew that he had been forgiven. He knew that he had been set free. He knew there was being given an opportunity to be a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Just think on those words that Scripture says to us. The old has gone, the new has come. Always apt at this time of year. 
The old is gone. The new has come. This is a new day. It's a new creation. He invited Matthew to surrender control, and he did. Sue spoke at the beginning of the service. What a brilliant way to start a year. What a brilliant way to start a decade. Um, Sue shared heart and prophetically shared with us, I, I believe, what God was saying. And a part of that, I need to unpack that and probably hear that again at some point, maybe next week. Um, so about Jesus' heart for the church. What does he want for the church? What does he want for our lives? Not what do I want. What does he want? He's Lord. He's building his church. If we are to enter our God-called future, we must disturb and surrender our control of the present and give it to the Lord. Giving control to God means he had relocated himself emotionally. So Matthew relocated himself emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. He gave his life to the Lord. He's a new creation. He stepped into a new place to release God's promise and purpose. The future destiny is realized as the perspective on the present is changed. Church, we've got to shift our perspective on what we think the church is. We've got to shift our perspective on the world that we live in. We've got to shift our perspective on the job that we do. Last night, I sat among... I love my family, don't get me wrong. I mean, I make fun of them because they make fun of me. But my big wider family, all these, you know, 12 aunts and uncles and a thousand kids and a thousand thousand kids' kids, all living lives that are so removed from mine. And I leaned over and said to my little gang in the corner, somehow, when my sister's listening, looking at me as if to say, my brother is so weird. And I said, how do we engage these people with church, with the good news? How do, how, how do we actually say to these people, this is who Jesus is, in a credible way, where they can get hold of who we are and what God is doing? And I, I just looked around and I just thought, nothing about my life or church has anything to do with these people. They don't know what planet I'm on. And within a, like five minutes of me asking that question and being really, I just asked it casually, but inside I was in real turmoil because this is family and you want them to discover Christ. But within five minutes of that, this is when I discover that Megan lives opposite Samantha and that Annie's dad works with Steve, her husband. My, my auntie's husband. And Robert now works. But how do, we, how do we get people to connect with Jesus? We'll let Jesus have control. We surrender our lives to him. Because God can orchestrate this stuff. God can manage this stuff. The Lord can lead this stuff. You know what? I don't have to manipulate, to manage, to fix, to cajole, to be artificial. I don't have to force the gospel onto anybody. I don't have to ram Jesus down anybody's uh, throat. All I have to do is to live well like Christ. I just have to live well. And God can build these connections. I've got to trust the Lord in faith because he can build these links and these opportunities. So within minutes of me asking this question, thinking I am irrelevant and my faith seems irrelevant to these people, God had already begun a journey. I really believe the Lord, years ago, the Lord had begun a journey. It's when I found out that my, aunt and, that my cousin um, and her husband had been to Annie's mum and dad for a New Year's Eve party a while back. I mean, that's just insane. We didn't even know we knew each other. I mean, how does that happen? And they'd join the dots together with churches and ground-level network and all sorts. These people aren't even Christians. How good is our God? A journey's begun. We must always keep in mind that we, when we read the gospel, that Matthew is presenting to us the opportunity for a new day. For a new day. 
for a new God control opportunity. And that brings hope. That brings a tenacious hope, a faith that is tenacity that can hold on, that is joyful, isn't just enduring, but is hopeful. We physically and spiritually make a choice for Jesus that shifts our perspective and releases our God potential to become our God opportunity. That's who we are. We've got to shift our perspective. Away from, see, I was thinking about what can I do? I was busy thinking, what can I do? Instead of thinking, what can the Lord do? What can the Lord do through me? What can the Lord do through my family? What can the Lord do just because he's building his church? We've got a God of miracles. If we tenaciously hang on to that, we discover faith in the face of change. You know, instead of being afraid of change, instead of being afraid of the future, we can anticipate it with excitement. Matthew did. The second character I want to briefly look at um, is, uh, is Joseph, as in Joseph and Mary, uh, as in the guy that kind of gets mentioned but says very little and is apparently relegated to insignificance and actually is a complete and utter hero. He's just not self-centered. He just, just doesn't big himself up. He just serves. Uh, this guy came from Nazareth. Nazareth was his hometown, a town that nobody liked. Um, he was definitely born on the wrong sides of the social divide because of that, so he would have had a stigma. The second thing is, his life is surrounded by gossip because he's engaged to be betrothed, and in those days, oh, when your wife is then, or your future wife is going to be pregnant, you're in hot water, more than you will be now by a million miles. Every, so he's got a reputation, he's given Mary a reputation, that's the people's assumptions. So everything about his life is stacked against him. It's loaded against him. So then he added to all of this mess and confusion he then angels appear and dreams get dreamed and he winds up in Bethlehem Joseph had wanted to leave her quietly but honorably but he chose instead to let God take control instead of leaving Mary he let God take control and he stepped into it because he had faith you just think, I just want you to think on this for a moment he wasn't compelled to do this he was given an opportunity to let the Lord control is destined in future. In other words, your salvation, my salvation, the salvation of the world, our Father God went to Joseph and entrusted him at that moment of the decision. He said, you can walk away from this, but please don't. And Joseph chose to stay. Joseph chose to let God have control. You imagine how different the gospel story would be if Joseph had left Mary at that point. But he chose to let God have control. And because he let the Lord, our Father God have control, so much transforms. I don't know the full theology and all of that kind of mindset and thinking, but I do know that God works through us. And he takes his weak and feeble vessels, these jars of clay, and he fills them with his spirit. And he puts a treasure within. And that's true of every one of us. So yeah, I get that you're weak and you're feeble. I get that you're a jar of clay. But this is about what the Lord pours into you. Joseph was a guy that was going to walk away and walk out. He was a jar of clay, but God poured treasure into him. Church, we carry treasure. We carry treasure. We've got to learn to surrender control of our present to give God an opportunity in the future. I'm going to say it again. If we are to enter our God-called future, we must disturb and surrender our control of the present. The future becomes this. Joseph began to relocate his mind and heart, and perspectives changed. Here's where our story picks up today. The wise men had left the house in Bethlehem. 
the beam, they left amazing gifts. Yay, nice gifts. And then the gongs, a couple of years have passed by. And I have a theory about this. I think Joseph and Mary decided to stay so they could get away from the scandal of Nazareth and start afresh. They've got some finance now to get a business going. They've got their own house. Scripture says they have their own house. It's just a theory. But the wise men kind of set them up for the future. Uh, just when things are looking good, Herod steps in and starts messing things up and it's a horrible, messy, dreadful place and they've got to get out and they run to Egypt. And Matthew tells us that this was so the prophetic word about Jesus would be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I've called my son. So Joseph has to choose to let God have control. He can't just run anywhere. He doesn't go back to Bethlehem. He gets out and gets to Egypt because that is what God told him to do. Because he let the Lord take control. Lots of complex theology about this, about Moses and Jesus and Joseph. We're not going to go there. Just to say, this is about one man that chooses to say, Father God, you have control. Church, I just want to challenge you this morning as we look at this year ahead. With your business, with your unemployment, with your health, with your church dreams, with whatever it is you have. Are you prepared to say, Lord, you have control. You have control. Because when we do, we release the promises of God. That's a tenacious faith that we must not surrender, but that can be hopeful and joyful. That's when we let the Lord control. First, we look back to the promise of God. We are blessed people, and we are blessed to be a blessing to our town. Then we look forward to the promise of God, that God will make all things new. And God will make all things new. See, we're in a world that offers survival. We're in a world that offers maybes. We're in a world that delivers everything negatively and cynically and ironically. But we have a God that is a God of new creation, that is a God of future, that is a God of enduring hope, that is a God of joy, that is a tenacious, faithful God. Not a dark, gloomy, oppressive scenario, God, but one that dreams dreams for us, one that will build this church, one that so loved the world that he gave his only son. That isn't a somber thing, that is a joyful thing. That isn't heartache to God, that is a joy to him. The next 10 years will see everything change in your life. Anybody put your hand up if you think your life won't change in the next 10 years. Your life will change in the next 10 years. Your life will change in 10 years. It will be different. For one thing, you'll be older. Some of us might not be here in 10 years. Some of us might have moved to elsewhere. I'm being positive. May have moved elsewhere in 10 years. Some of us may be more substantial. Some of us may be slimmer. Some of us may have got qualifications. Some of us may have retired. Some of us may have got our first job. Some may be at university. I promise you this. It will not be the same. There will be new leadership in this church. There will be lots of new people doing new roles. There will be new people about. We might have dozens of campuses and satellite meetings and thousands of people in that famous Hope House church in Barnsley where Hillsong say, come and teach us how to do it. <laughs> we may not. All that matters is that we'll have God our control. This is not about our glory. For Matthew, it is not about his glory. It was about the Lord's glory. For Joseph, it was not about his glory. It was about the Lord's glory. When we see it with that kind of tenacious faith, then our next year can be different. Our future can be transforming. Here's the deal. It's never about us. It's only about others. And it's only about the glory of God. 
That's why we live. Because that's how Jesus lived. Not for himself, but for others and for the glory of God. That's how we must live. That's how we let go of our fizzy pop and milk drinks with tenacious faith, discovering our God-called destiny. Church, anything less than living for others and for the glory of God is like drinking fizzy pop and milk. It just is. It's exciting, it's dramatic, it's explosive. But it's not good for you. And it's properly messy. And it doesn't last. Today, it doesn't matter what happened in 2019. God's mercy is new every morning. The Bible says God's mercy is new every morning. There is always a fresh start. So 2019 is gone. Let's learn from it. Let's put marker stones down on it, but let's not live there. Matthew was a tax collector in the past. Now he's a disciple and apostle of Christ. He was able to leave his disgrace behind him and start afresh. Not just leading a life that controlled others' lives, but leading a life that blessed other lives and brought eternity to other lives with the good news of Jesus. Joseph moved into the future with the disgrace behind him and without fear following him. He was able to rise above it because he believed that he was doing what God had asked him to do. He let God take control. Church, there are lessons for us here. Can I have the band back, please, if you would? God will ensure your future in accordance with his plan, not yours. You understand that, don't you? Your future is certain when it's God's plan. When it's yours, I just want to tell you, that is the milk on top of the fizzy pop. Your plan is the milk on the fizzy pop. Where God's plan is the blessing. God's plan is the plan that releases tenacious faith and hope and endurance and joy. We have a Father God who makes a way where there is no way. Isn't it great to throw out verses like that? He, he, he makes a way where there is no way. He makes springs of water spring up in deserts. That's, that's the nature of our God. He brings life into our endurance. He brings joy into those settings. If we're to enter our God-called future, must disturb and surrender our control of the present. Church, if there's one thing I see more than anything else is that people like to be in control. They like to be in control. And they like to demonstrate their control. They like to influence people. They like to look like they're in control. Church, if you think you are in control, you are just pouring milk on fizzy pop. We've got to give it to the Lord. Ephesians 1 verse 4 and 6 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to praise to the praise of his glorious grace. Church, we can choose to be in control. We can take this, this line this morning and say, I'm in control. Or we can look at the year ahead and say, you know what, I surrender it. I surrender my reputation. I surrender my expectation. I surrender my tenacity for holding on to my things. And I give them to God. I'll let him lead. I'll step out. We call it faith. This is really about having tenacious faith. It's about faith living. It's about stepping out and believing God will be there. God will have a plan. God will have a shape. God will have an action for your year ahead, for the challenges that you know you've got that nobody else in this room has, for the hope and expectations that you have this year. Just, just give them to God. This morning, as we're going to sing this last song, 
So we're going to close in worship and then have friendship time and fellowship and coffee and conversation. And our amazing team are going to be around stripping this stuff out this afternoon as all the normal of life begins. This morning, you get to choose to give it to God. So your business, your health. Let's lay a marker stone and say, Lord, this is yours. All the hurt and the history. I can go forward carrying that hurt. I can go forward being angry. I can go forward being wound up. Or I can, in faith, let go and say, Lord, you're in control. And see miracles happen. See miracles happen. And I want to be someone who worships a God of miracles. I'll be somebody who worships a God who makes a way where there's no way. I want to be the kind of person that doesn't think I'm in control because I know best. But I want to have the choice to surrender that control to the Lord because he does know, because he designed me, because he knit me together in my mother's womb, because he knows me intimately, because he had plans for me, because he chose to make me his son, not by accident, but by design, before I was even born. So my future must be assured in him. Your future is assured in him. So whatever people think may be happening to you, whatever their plans are for you, let's be sure that it's the Lord's plans that we surrendered to this morning. Then we have some good news to carry. Then like Matthew, we have good news to share. Then we become disciples. Then we become like the apostles that share the good news of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to finish by praying a prayer of commitment where we give our lives to the Lord. And many of you think, well, I'm already a Christian. That's great. Let's just give our lives to the Lord again. Let's commit to him. And if you're not a Christian this morning and you think, what is that guy rabbiting about? The guy is rabbiting about things you don't fully understand yet because he doesn't. But what he does know is that we have a God of eternity, not just a God of the next parliament, not just a God of the next year, not just a God of the next season of spring coming, but we have a God of eternity. So let's, let's, why don't we stand together if we can, if you're physically able. I'm going to read this prayer. Please talk to me afterwards, but I just want to make this, this standard prayer of commitment that we make. And we can say amen after it together if that's your heart. And then we're going to finish with this last song of worship. And that's my introduction to this new series on tenacious faith living that I believe can change what we perceive as God builds his church in this next decade. This year is a foundation time. But it's a foundation time not just in the practical things we do, but in your spiritual decisions in God in where you choose to position yourself in the Lord. Are you going to stay in your tax collector's booth? Are you going to hide away? Or are you going to do what the Lord has said and step out? Here's the prayer. Lord Jesus, I know I've done things wrong in my thoughts, words and actions. There are so many good things I've not done. There are so many wrong things I have done. I'm sorry for those wrong things and turn from everything I know to be bad. You gave your life for me on the cross and gratefully I give my life back to you. Now I ask you to come into my life. Come in as my saviour to clean me. Come in as my Lord to lead me through this year and the decade ahead for eternity. And I will serve you all the remaining days of my life. Amen. Let's worship God together.
great and far, you can do all things, here in your presence we believe, you are strong, sovereign and mighty, faithful one, you never fail. Pray. 